Chapter 8, page 138. The meat itself is an eye-opener. I'm in way better shape than I thought, and I take the 100 and the 200 freestyle pulling away. My times aren't world beaters, but they're very competitive for the beginning of the season. I even blow one turn in the 200 and still pull it out. The kid in the lane next to me slaps the water after the 100, and I'm sure that I hear him say, he's never been beat by a nigger. Which, for some reason, doesn't ignite my will to hold his head underwater until he passes out. I just reach across the lane and grab his hand like I'm shaking it, and I pull him close, and I whisper, get used to it. Mott does his best to take the heat off of Simon. After they call the 100-yard breaststroke, just as Simon is about to shed his warm-ups, he tears off his sweatpants, jerks his leg off with a flare, and throws it over to me. If it were a gymnastic move, it would have received a 10, and the crowd falls dead silent. There is a 10-minute delay at the end of the race because one of the judges can't determine whether or not Andy used a legal kick. And the breaststroke, a swimmer's legs have to kick symmetrically. And lo and behold, the rule book states nothing about a one-legged swimmer. Dan Hull solves the problem by suggesting that since he's a, it's a double dual meet and since two swimmers on both teams beat them both, why don't they disqualify Mott against one team, giving third place points to Simon and not the other, giving third place points to Andy? And that is the way it finally goes down in the book. Chris gets third place points twice because he's swimming the 500 free and the 100 individual medley against nobody else from our team. And Tayroy does the same in the 100 fly and the 200 IM. Jackie pulls down a pair of thirds and the 50 free and the 100 back. Those races are short enough that there are still swimmers in the water when he finishes. Though he bumps his head hard enough on the third turn of his backstroke race not to notice. The Idaho teams are from neighboring schools and have a rivalry going as well as a lot of friendships because most of them swim on the same summer team. They're friendly, but a little aloof. I can't tell if that's because they aren't sure if we got off the bus on our way to Burger King or if they think they might catch whatever we obviously have. When it's over, we gather our things, we shake hands with the other swimmers, most of whom wish us good luck knowing how badly we need it, and head for Pizza Hut, where Dan almost blows cerebral capillaries trying to convince Chris that ordering a 12-inch will give him more pizza than two six-inchers. Bottom line is, Chris wants two pizzas, and that's what he gets. He's more intelligent than we think, Dan whispers in defeat. He almost understood that. Simon gets two pizzas, too, but he takes Dan's advice and makes them both 12 inches. Andy declares this whole experience a real bonus for Chris, making the swim team and getting a math tutor in the mix. He says it's like he says everything with extra sarcasm, but Dan just says, darn tootin'. So we take our same bus seats, seats that will continue to belong to us as the season progresses, and we start the trip home through what quickly turns into heavy snowfall. We're feeling good. We not only walked away from our first swimming meet with as many people as we went into it with, but we all walked away with points. 
Chris is so proud of himself, we almost have to give him two seats. And Simon is so grateful at having stood on that starting block and not melted away with embarrassment that his relief is leaking all over the bus. Jackie Craig seems exactly as he did before we hit the water, but I tell myself that even a ghost has to feel good about this. Ico tells Dan Hole he's so proud of him, he'll give him a bonus of three big words on the way home. And Dan promptly uses up two. Euphoric and rapturous, both to describe his current emotional state. Mott says little, but slaps Simon on the shoulder as he limps back from his seat, adjusting his headphones as his head again disappears from view. In a short while, the euphoria and rapture wear off, and except for the droning of the engine, the inside of the bus is like a dorm room. Simon sounds like he turned into a sputtering chainsaw, and when they get in sync, he and Mott are dueling nostrils. Sima and I talk a while, but before long, he has drifted off too, and only Iko and I see the storm turn into a blizzard as we slow to about 20 miles an hour. The flakes become so thick and heavy, we seem to be disappearing through a white wall. The small transistor radio hanging from the rear view mirror warns us to stay home by the warm fire for the evening. Winter storm warnings are posted through tomorrow. So I say, um, Iko, did I just hear him say that the road we're on is closed? Couldn't be. We're on it. Are we okay? Hell yeah. I used to drive trucks over the Continental Divide in a lot more weather than this. Rolled one of those babies all the way down a mountain once. Um, I tell him that doesn't exactly inspire my confidence. Ah, like to kill me, he says. Law of averages says a guy doesn't have two of those in one lifetime. As he says it, bright lights fill the interior of the bus like the 4th of July as the loud blast from the horn of a state snowplow brings everyone up in their seat. Ico cramps the wheel hard to the right and then pulls it back quickly, but the bus begins to slide. And for a few crazy moments, we whirl as if we are on the Scrambler Carnival ride. And then, bang! As the front fender smashes into the natural rock wall on our left, violently reversing our field back to the other side and over a six-foot steep embankment. Simmet is up and through the bus in an instant, checking for us for injuries. Mont lips up the aisle, slipping off his headphones. Damn, I've been on a lot of drug trips that weren't that good. Chris's hands are frozen into grips on the back of the seat in front of him, eyes wide, paralyzed. Jackie sits in his seat, head immobile, glancing side to side, waiting for someone to tell him what happened. Tayroy slept through it and is now just looking around. Simon is hyperventilating. No one is scratched, but Ico and his informs us that we are at the bottom of the ditch with the fender smashed against the right front tire, and we are going nowhere on our own. I got up to the road, and it is nothing but white out there. We're going to be here a while, men. Chris glances around frantically, looking ready to go ballistic. But Simmet is right there. You've been camping before, haven't you, Chris? Yes, with Brian, your brother. Yeah, 
Well, that's what this is. It's a camping trip. Chris says, well, I I wish my brother was here. So do I, Coach says back, but we'll have to do this camping trip without him. I got to do everything without him, Chris says. He's dead. They've got his picture in the trophy case, though. You seen it? Every day, Coach says, your brother was in my class. He was a real smart guy. And Chris smiles. Iko goes back out into the snow and returns in just a few minutes. We have plenty of fuel, he says, and the engine's working so we can keep warm. All the comforts of home, which is a damn good thing because we ain't going to the real one for a while. I put a flare up on the road and we've got plenty more, but it's a good bet nobody will be here for a while. He holds his wrist near the speedometer light. It's close to midnight. Nobody's going to miss us until about two or so. Should have help by early morning. The bus is equipped with an emergency pack that includes blankets and we all have warm coats. Ico figures if we hang some of the extra blankets ceiling to floor about a third of the way back, we can keep the front of the bus in the low 60s all night, running the engine intermittently. Mott glances longingly to the back. Sounds like I gotta give up my seat. He looks around at us. Ah, what the hell. No reason I can't come up here and see if I can pick up some social skills. Um, if you can pick up social skills from us, Tayroy says, you are in serious deprivation. He double flagged the student body, Simmet says. He's plenty deprived. <laughs> a hint of a smile crosses Andy's face in the green glow of the dashlights. I have never seen him smile before. We hang the blankets and we settle in, and Coach says he and Ico will take care of the flares in the heat that we can relax and get some sleep. Well, we're the only ones getting paid, he says, and when this makes the papers, we'll be taking the credit for saving your lives. <laughs> It'll be on page 12, Simon says, when they find out who you saved. So we sit with our backs to the windows, legs on the seat, struggling to get comfortable, and little by little, the bus settles into silence. Ico starts the engine a couple of times while Simmet hustles up to replace the flares. And in the silence, Mott says, what if this is it for you guys? And I say, what do you mean? What if I was the only one to make it out of here? What if snow fills up the ditch, covers the bus, and I'm the only one smart enough not to be buried alive? Who do you want me to kill when I get back? Find the guy operating that snowplow, Ico says. He didn't even look back to see what happened to us. Well, he must have figured we squeezed by, Simmet says. Those guys are pretty good about helping folks out when there's trouble. Huh, well, we're in trouble and he ain't helping, Ico says. So if I got to freeze to death and that boy's got a killing heart, then that guy's got my vote for now. I checked to see if this conversation is freaking Chris out, but he's fast asleep. How about you, coach, Mott says. What if you had a freebie? Can I just have them maimed? Coach asked. Do I have to go for the whole package? I have this brother-in-law. Nope, Mott says. Gotta be terminated. Well, had to take a rain check then, Simmet says. Somebody's gotta support my sister. Mott says, hey, DeLong. And without hesitation, Simon says, my mom. A brief moment of dead silence. Care to elaborate on that? Nope, 
Jesus. How about you, oh silent one, he says to Jackie. Jackie shrugs. Didn't anyone ever tell you to use your mouth to talk, Mutt says? Your shoulders are for your arms to hang off. You gotta speak, Jackie boy. Otherwise, how do I know who to waste? Jackie shrugs again. We'll come back to you, Mott says. Be thinking. Hey, muscle man, what about you? Nobody pops into mind, Tayroy says. Maybe I'll give you my proxy. I have a feeling you have a long list. That I do, Popeye. That I do. Jones. Mm. I'm into saving lives, I tell him. So I'll have you waste yourself first. That way, I will save all the others. A half-black guy around these parts, Mott says? Shit, you should have a list that stretches to Seattle. Do you think you'd rather be a one-legged white boy or a black guy with everything in working order? He nods towards Simon. Or a fat guy towards Chris. Or a dummy. And Jackie. (laughs) And whatever that is. And Simmet says, that's enough. Well, isn't that why you want us around? Mott says, ignoring him, to give you a little edge on superiority. And I said, Mott, I didn't ask you to swim. No, you didn't. I'm here on my own volition. He looks at Dan. Volition. You like that word, hole? He turns back to me. I'm just checking out the nature of things. You know how things are. Yeah, well, you're checking them out. Be careful what words you use. The heat is rising in me and the adrenaline is spilling over. Oh, so now you're the savior too. Make sure nobody says anything bad about your team. Now all of a sudden I have him by the collar, pulling him towards me. No, you don't say anything bad about our team. Simmet's hand clamps on my wrist. Let go, TJ. Mott and my eyes remain locked on each other. His stare is cold. Simmet says, TJ, and I release my hold. Simmet says, you check on the nature of things on your own time, okay, Andy? Mott's like, whatever. Mott puts his headphones back on his head, settles into his seat. I stare out the window into the falling snow, wondering how did I let him get to me? Maybe it's because he's partly right. I did go looking for guys who were a little out there as a ways, but up until now... I thought it was pretty clever. Maybe I am being an arrogant asshole. I consider that as the bus settles again into silence. Hey man, don't worry about it. Mott's voice startles me. Sometimes I just have to be a prick. The counselor says I have a personality disorder. It's okay, I said. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you were right. No, he says. I'm just good at making people think that. I don't know. I mean, the letter jacket thing, I've let myself get a little obsessed. I picked that. You guys didn't. He dismisses that. And he's quiet for a few seconds. And then... The third guy. After my dad left. On the off chance that you make it out and I don't. He's the one I want offed or killed. Canada Smith is his name, and I got a trust fund for this leg. You get Canada Smith, and it's yours. 
He's quiet another few seconds. But you got to do it slow, though. Another moment of quiet. Old Canada Smith, he couldn't figure out which bed he was supposed to sleep in. I am speechless. I would tell you the rest of that story, but we don't know each other that well. He laughs. Maybe after the Olympic trials. Snowflakes build on the windows. And other than Coach slipping out to put on a new flare or Ico intermittently starting the engine, there is nothing more than the sound of heavy breathing. You might decide you'd rather be a one-legged white boy than all brown and shit, Mott says, after I've been sure he is asleep. But believe me, you would damn well rather be brown than be somebody who got done by his mother's boyfriend. I can't even imagine. And I can't believe he's telling me. And as I think it, he says, my counselor says the only chance I have is to tell people I'm a prick. That way I might have less reason to act like one. He settles down in his seat. So consider yourself told. Around four o'clock in the morning, the interior fills again with light and an engine idles in the near distance. It goes out the door, scrambling up the hill before most of us can clear our eyes. And before we know it, a state plow driver has us standing in the snow while he hooks a chain to the front bumper and hauls us to the highway. He and Ico pound the fender away from the wheel far enough to make it drivable. And we are headed through the snowy night. Our first meet and our first group therapy session is behind us.